Greetings and welcome to another episode, long awaited for some of you, of the Hammer and Umpire podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Weber. I know I'm always saying it, I've been busy. Well, I have been busy. <laughs> I've been working quite a few baseball games, you know, trying to teach high school kids some history and uh, keep them motivated. I've got a, a senior in high school who's ready to graduate as valedictorian. I'm very proud of her. And, uh, you know, go on to college and do all the stuff that I hope that she's able to accomplish in her life. Um, so it's been a, a crazy but fun spring. And, uh, you know, on top of that, I do high school and, and now, you know, of course, also summer league assigning. So it's just always a crazy time of year. And I'm always thinking about trying to make a, a podcast and things that I could put into it. And um, it's hard to find the time. But I've got some time. I'm sitting here in a hotel room working uh, some games in the uh, uh, Mac series I've got this weekend. And uh, I've got some time to, to do this and I put together a few segments. If you hear a train in the background on any of the segments, uh, that's because there's a train that runs by this hotel frequently. <laughs> so um, if that happens, then I'm going to just leave it in there. I'm not going to re-record the whole thing. This is what it is, I guess, is some background noise for you. Um, but anyway, I've had a pretty good spring myself. Um, I got a, you know, I was lucky enough to work myself into a pretty good schedule um, for collegiate baseball. I've worked, uh, you know, all levels as I usually do, you know, junior college and NAIA and D3, D2, and D1. I've gotten the most Division One games that I've gotten so far in my career, which I'm very pleased with, and hopefully I will um, do well enough in all of these to continue to get those, and, you know, who knows, maybe even pick up a couple more. So postseason is upon us soon for college and, and then high school very soon after that here, at least in the state of Michigan. So I hope to work some of those games and see how that goes as well. I've got a few segments for you today. I got stuff on uh, infield fly, runner's lane, uh, pace of play, um, three man that we're using in youth baseball, um, and evaluations and, you know, seeking evaluations and, and trying to make yourself a better umpire because that's always our goal is to get a little bit better every game that we work. And, you know, there's lots of knowledge out there, little snippets of knowledge that everybody has that they can pass on to one another and make us all a little bit better on the baseball field. So that's what I got for you this episode. It's good to be back, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Sit back and relax and listen to another episode of the Hammer and Umpire podcast. Well, I've only been able to do a handful of high school baseball games so far this season. I've been, I guess, lucky enough to have a predominant number of my games be collegiate games. But when I've done the maybe four or so I've done so far, uh, I, know I, I notice a striking difference between the pace of play. And that has most everything to do with the pitch clock um, and other timing um, 
rules that have been implemented in college baseball that have not been implemented in high school baseball. I don't know if they will be. I, I really wish that they they would be in some future year. But, you know, in, in college baseball, of course, you know, you've got your six conferences, defensive conferences. Um, three can be with a coach. Um, and the other ones can be a players. But if a players use four or five of them, then coaches only get one or two. Um, and of course, then they have their three offensive conferences. So that's a big thing because frequently if I'm doing a high school game, you know, the catcher's like, can I go talk to the pitcher? And you do that. Or they're, you know, they're um, after the warm-up pitchers, they're out there talking to the guy or the shortstop walks over to them or whatever it might be. And then if we have a conference, we have the offensive team, you know, the base runners or what have you, batter going down and talking to their coach while they're out there on the mound. You can't do that in college baseball unless there's a pitching change. Um, otherwise, you'd have to use one of your offensive conferences. So those things slow things down. Also, of course, we have the 120 seconds between innings, which is um, stringently enforced or should be. I think most uh, most of the guys I work with, you know, pretty much all the guys I work with do so, and I assume that is the case in most of college baseball. Yeah, we're supposed to have a time between innings as well for high school, but nobody really keeps track of it. So there's a lot of lackadaisical um, you know, players and coaches and such, or the catcher was caught on base or something. They're slow to get out there and those kind of things. So that slows things down too. But more than anything is the pitch clock. Now we have the the 20 seconds, right? So the pitcher, once he you know, is is on the, the mound or the play is called, he's got to pitch or start his motion within 20 seconds. Batter needs to be in the box and alert to the pitcher within 10 seconds. If either does not do so, it's either going to be a strike on the batter or a, a ball called on the pitcher. Pitchers, of course, must make legitimate pickoff throws. They can't step off. Um, if they step off, they get one reset per batter, right? Um, otherwise, it's a violation. And, you know, this is, it's been a, a bit of a struggle here and there, especially early in the season for those in the warm weather areas where they're playing games. But now at this point of the season here in May, and even a little bit before that, of course, too, you get guys step in the box. They stay in the box. They're ready to hit. Pitcher gets the ball. They're getting their sign. They're ready to pitch. And it's cut 20 to 30 minutes off of games. I mean, I would say the average length of a nine-inning college game is about two and a half hours. I mean, there's frequently you can get less than that. Now, of course, there's times where it's longer. Uh, maybe there's a lot of runs or walks or things like that. But it has nothing to do with guys wasting time stepping out, getting signs all the time, um, calling timeout or asking for timeout and all those kind of things that we had beforehand. So it's a striking difference for sure. Um, one that makes it a little frustrating sometimes to do high school baseball now because of that. And I know... The listeners out there that, you know, your predominant thing is high school baseball, which is a great thing, by the way. I mean, I'm not trying to rip on high school baseball, but it is something that you really do notice if you kind of go back and forth between the two. So I just want to share that with you. I hope that the Federation, you know, the National Federation of High Schools maybe looks at that. How would you do it? You got to have um, umpires with either a stopwatch or one of the box timers. We have box timers that most guys have in college baseball. Um, 
that you know you have a little switch that goes up and down um you got one switch that goes up for the 120 seconds one that goes down and buzzes at 10 seconds and buzzes big time at, again at um 20 seconds it could be calibrated for whatever the high school does i know high school football uses those for their timing it's the same basic box okay so it certainly could be done there for high school guys would have to go spend forty dollars on a box of course and some people maybe wouldn't want to do that but then again you could try to do it with your stopwatch it's a little trickier um i'm sure most guys have a stopwatch and they could be looking at it. but if you got to look and you're trying to look for box it's you know the base guy that's keeping track of all this stuff that can be a little tricky but it can be done all right so and if and you'd have to of course get local associations and of course you know statewide groups that um implement it and implement it properly and, and train people but if you did so we could cut that down because it is a problem that we have the inability to play high school double headers in the daylight that we have available you start at 4 four thirty, whatever 4 15 and uh, you you get one game in and you're lucky if you start the second one at seven o'clock and early in the season you know maybe only got an hour of daylight left so um it used to not be that way and I know I'm sounding like an old guy, but, you know, I played high school baseball, too. We played doubleheaders all the time. Maybe my memory's bad, but I don't remember not finishing them. We always got all the games in. We got all the innings in because, I don't know, we stepped in, we played, and we didn't have all this lollygagging and stuff that we see nowadays. So um, that has been a problem. You know, that's why it takes so much longer to play those games and and get them in. And, and it's, it's very infrequent that you can start a 4 o'clock doubleheader and get everything in um that doesn't that's um definitely in the minority of times that that happens so anyway those are my thoughts on uh the pace of play i guess between um high school baseball and college baseball and things that i've noticed uh this season here in 2023 so i'd like to talk for a few minutes about runner's lane and runner's lane interference. If you've paid any attention to baseball over the last several years, we've seen uh, plays that have happened with runner's lane interference at all levels of baseball that have been controversial. And they're really only controversial because most people do not understand the rule or the intent of the rule. So I'm an historian of baseball. I really like baseball history in all aspects. I mean, obviously, I, I like umpiring and, and the history of that, too. And I suspect that, like most baseball rules, the runner's lane rule was put in because old-time players, 100-plus years ago, probably more than that, probably 125 years ago, would run wherever they felt like it um, to interfere with a potential throw that's out in front of the plate that the catcher or the pitcher, or maybe the third baseman as well, might be making to throw to first base. So if you did not have the rule, you would have a batter runner that would run zigzagging possibly toward the mound, back and forth, this, you know, doing whatever he could to make it difficult to, to block the view or the path of the, the potential flight of the ball to try to get the first base and, you know, maybe get hit in the back by it or somewhere and, and make it a wild throw and make it difficult. You know, basically obstructing, you know, um, we, we know we use the word obstruction for the, the defense, but he'd be obstructing the view of the potential thrower toward first base, okay? 
That's what guys would do. I bet you they were doing it back in the day. And finally, they said, we can't have this. You know, if the ball is in play in fair territory, you should have a reasonable chance to pick up the ball and try to throw it to first, and the guy can't run in your way. So thus, we have, you know, the 45-foot line and the runner's lane, and, you know, if you're inside that, including the lines, you're good to go, right? So we know we see that sometimes where a guy is running and he's in the dirt, in fair territory, out of the running lane, all right? And he's running down there toward the base and he gets hit in the back. Well, he is in the guy's way, okay, of the of where he needs to throw it. So unfortunately, we don't see this called enough. Almost at all levels. Okay, the really high levels of college baseball and professional baseball, all levels of professional baseball, they do get it. But definitely amateur baseball, you know, let's say, lower level college and down below, we don't really see it called as much as it probably should because it, it takes place more than you might think. Fortunately, most of the time, a guy might be running illegally and the guy makes a throw and he's out anyway. And so, you know, it's all good. But uh, remember, for my newer umpires out there or, or guys that maybe haven't paid as much attention to this as they should, you know, the batter runners is not required to stay in the runner's lane. But if he does run outside the runner's lane, like in fair territory, and he interferes with a fielder receiving a throw at first base, he could be called out for interference. And you should get that, all right? I know you might get garbage from people, but you'll, you'll do what you're supposed to do. And, you know, sometimes that's just the way it is. So the lines are considered part of the running lane. Um, the batter runner is permitted to exit the three-foot lane by means of a step, a stride, to reach or slide in the immediate vicinity of first base for the sole purpose of touching the base. So they're able to do that at the end. Um, and it's there to protect the fielder from taking a throw because you, if you've watched enough baseball, you probably have seen a collision at first base. And, and usually that first baseman gets the worst of it. You know, sometimes you get a broken arm or something there. Okay, so that's the main thing too. Um, it matters what level of baseball, but most of the time, you know, the throw must be able to be caught. I know there's some different rule sets that might have that a little bit different. So check what you're working with there. Um, a throw must be made. If a throw is made by a fielder and it hits the runner while he's out of the runner's lane in the back, you know, usually that's going to be an indication that it's interference and you need to call that and call them out. And, and then, of course, if there were other runners on base, they go back to their original base right at the time of the pitch. Um, so if the batter runner is out of the lane and the play is completed by the defense, you know, he catches it, you know, makes a great catch over there, which usually is what happens. No interference is called unless the batter runner interferes with the first baseman making a throw to another base, you know, and that's a different situation. So anyway, I know there's lots of plays out there. If you just Google runner's lane, runner's lane interference, you'll see lots of things, and um, you need to understand what the rule is. It's usually the home plate umpire's call because he should be coming up the line to see that. It certainly could be called by a first base umpire. Um, you know, he can get a view of it, but he's obviously got a safe out call and other things to work with at that time too. So he's got a lot going on there, but he could certainly get it if he, if he sees it as well. All right. But usually it's a home plate umpire's kind of call. Anyway, that was just something that was on my mind there. I guess a little pet peeve that I have because you see this on broadcast all the time where anytime something like this happens, 
we get the talking heads out there that have no clue what the rule is and they say, oh, it should be out. And it would be a disaster if they got rid of that rule. It needs to be in place. It just needs to be implemented properly. And um, I guess, you know, players need to understand why it's there as well. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So another topic I'd like to discuss with all of you, especially my newer umpires out there, is the infield fly. Uh, a ruling and a rule that is confusing to some people that watch baseball. Hopefully not to us umpires out there, all right? So just to reiterate and get everybody on the same page, we know an infield fly um, is not a line drive or a bunch attempt, but it's a ball that can be caught by an infielder with ordinary effort. Um, and it's only with first and second, and the base is loaded, and less than two outs. So the pitcher, the catcher, any outfielder who stations himself in the infield on the play could be considered an infielder for the purpose of the rule. Um, it's also, you know, kind of common knowledge, I guess, that an infield fly um, is an ordinary effort that could be handled by an infielder. So if an outfielder were playing quite shallow and he came in to catch it, um, but, you know, the third baseman or the second baseman or the shortstop or something could have also caught it fairly easily with routine effort. It is also an infield fly. We don't have some demarcation line like the the dirt or the grass, you know, that, you know, means that it's a, a potential infield fly or not. Okay. That'd be maybe easier if it was, but that's not the way it is. What is the purpose of the rule? So when I'm thinking about this, I'm always thinking it's to prevent the defense from getting a cheap double or possibly triple play, you know, if there's nobody out, right? Because I'm sure a long time ago, before the turn of, you know, the 20th century, there were guys that were doing this frequently where they would just act like they were going to catch it, they let it drop, then as we got the force outs there, right? So boom, 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 they throw it around, they get a double or triple play pretty easily. So the purpose is to not, you know, it's to protect the, the runners from being forced to run so that they would get double or tripled up, okay? So that's what you're looking for when you, when you see it, you know, the ball's up in the air. You, you usually have a little more time than you think. You can point it and feel fly and, and yell that out. And feel fly fair if it's close to a line. Um, once you see that there is a, a infielder there or in the area that could make the play with ordinary effort, okay. I had a play like this similar, um, you know, this similar kind of situation um, a couple of weeks ago in a collegiate game. First and second. I don't remember if there's one out or zero outs, but it doesn't really matter. Anyway, pop up. Back of shortstop, just a few steps onto the grass. Shortstop, you know, got there first. There were some other fielders coming and got under it. 
I got my infield fly. And uh, the, the runners stay because, you know, we know the runners are not, you know, if it is dropped, they are not forced to advance. That is the advantage for them. Anyway, he caught the ball and uh, the guy stayed there. The third base coach, you know, and this is protecting his runners, okay? He's like, why is that an infield fly, you know, um, even though the guy caught it. And he's actually saying this to my partner who had come up a little bit toward the third baseline there. He didn't really say anything to me, but it's like the whole point is that your runners are not going to get a cheap double play. If you call it and there is not a cheap double play, even if the ball is dropped, but usually guys don't know that they don't have to run and they do and then they get doubled up, right? We see that happen all the time because they're not taught properly. But uh, then you know you got it right. If you, did, if you avoided a cheap double play on a ball, then you probably made the right call on calling the infield fly. That's kind of the point. Now, we know that we can have... It's not really intentional, you know, intentional dropping, you know, you got to make contact with the ball. But I saw a play recently in a major league game uh, pop up right by first base by the cutout. There's a runner on first, I think a runner on first only. And he's, you know, maybe five, ten feet off the base. You know, first baseman goes over, looks like he's going to catch it. And then he moves right out of the way, lets it drop, picks it up, touches first base for the force out, throws it a second. They give him a run down, tag him out, they get a double play. That's a smart baseball. I mean, you can do that. You know, that's within the rules of the game. That is allowed. But uh, you can't do that with first and second, and you can't do that with bases loaded because, you know, you're almost guaranteed to get some kind of double play or triple play if you can do that, all right, because you got forces everywhere, right? So anyway, uh, for my new guys out there, make sure that, uh, you know, you take your time on your infield flies. And uh, if you're thinking, yeah, if he decides to let this drop, they could get a, a cheap double play. If you're thinking that as the ball's up in the air, then you need to get that as long as that guy's there and he can reasonably make that catch. He's got to make some diving catch, shooting catch, you know, going backwards over the shoulder kind of thing. That's not routine, right? We know what that is. Um, but if it's something that he should be able to catch for the level of baseball that you're working at that time, then you can get your infield fly, even if it's a little bit on the grass or something like that. All right? Let's talk about evaluations and getting yourself evaluated by people that uh, have been around a little bit longer. I would think know some more things about umpiring than you do and have some you know, insight into what can make you better. Now, sometimes you, know, you, you naturally get evaluated by your partners and, and they could be a more or a less experienced umpire and they might notice something. Um, and give you some feedback that can make you better. You know, our goal should be to try to get a little bit better every game that we work or every series that we work. Sometimes that doesn't always happen, but that is always the goal. I've been lucky over the course of my career, and definitely this season so far, to have worked with some really good umpires that uh, know some things and learn some things that they share with me and and I, I asked for feedback. I said, you got anything for me? What did you notice? And uh, I usually get something, you know. Um, sometimes, you know, it's it's nice when, you know, they say, hey, you did a good job or, you know, you were consistent or this or that. That's good. But, you know, if they've got a little something that, um, you know, doesn't bruise your ego or whatever um, that you can get a little bit better on, that's that's good. So, and I've had that on a few occasions. I also was... Um, lucky enough to 
work a Big Ten non-con this year. I was supposed to have one last year, but it got washed out. But anyway, I was able to work that, and uh, one of the NCAA regional you know, uh, evaluators was there because he lives in the area as well. Nonetheless, um, my whole crew, it was a four-man crew, we were evaluated, and I got an evaluation from him, which I thought was very spot on, you know, and, and uh, useful. Um, it's a little intimidating, you know, to be evaluated by someone like that. And you, and you certainly um, don't want to mess something up and uh, look foolish and, and hurt yourself and hurt your career if you do something that's not so great. I had one situation on a fly ball to Bright Center as a home run ball, actually, with nobody on base. And uh, I've been working a lot of three-man up to that game and so in three man that normally would have been my ball but I started to step toward the ball as if it was mine I didn't read my second base umpire as well as I should have you know it's always that like half a second or maybe even less than a half a second that can really make a difference you know that pausing you know they say pause read react and and you really need to do that and you know the more umpires we add on the baseball field the more time we have to to read things and, and pause and, and we have more time to get to where we need to to be so that was um, something he noticed of course and he put that in the evaluation but it was definitely warranted and um, also I you know I didn't have any plays or anything that I missed I thought I was fine there but I was working first base and he basically talked about how you know I, I was a little more mechanical I guess and getting to my spots um, on ground balls and and things like that. And, you know, for that game, I probably was because I had a feeling, because guys had talked about it, that you might, we might be evaluated, and so I want to, like, do things more like the textbook kind of thing. And so, you know, one step here, you know, this and that, and getting set. And I don't think I'm normally as like that, but I definitely was probably a little bit more uh, that game, and it's something to think about. And he's, like, saying, you know, you got to – you know, there's different positions and different spots that you can be in to get a good read and look at plays at first base. And obviously, sometimes you got to get, you know, a second look, you know, if the play kind of changes and be able to, you know, shift yourself a little bit to, to be able to get a great look at a, at a potential play. I didn't have any of those that I really needed that on. But, um, you know, that, that was definitely something that uh, I took to heart. I'm going to work on that because, you know, if you're working the bases, I don't care, you know, two men on up. Uh, you got a lot of plays at first base, so that's something you can work on. For those of you that have aspirations to, you know, work three-man, four-man type games, you can always work on your pause to read, react while you're in A, you know. Um, yeah, you got to be cutting into the, to the infield grass a lot more often, but you can pause and see that ball that you have to right field when there's nobody on base and uh, react to it properly and, and do what you need to do. I mean, if you are doing that in two-man, once you are able to work those three- and four-man games, then you're going to be much better off and, and reading those fly balls and reacting much better down the road. So anyway, I urge all of you out there, no matter what level you're working, to seek those evaluations either from your peers or um, from higher-ups that uh, you might come in contact with and try to make yourself a little bit better umpire.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, well, let's talk about three-man. Three-man is always a fun thing to talk about and always a fun thing to work. Um, in the summer league that I assign, I assign stuff here in the spring for them to battle, B-A-T-L, Baseball All-Travel League. Um, for their tournaments, uh, we've come across an agreement with them. Um, Nick Sweeney, our umpire-in-chief, you know, former minor league umpire and college umpire that helps instruct all the umpires and I do my best to help them as well. Anyway, we decided uh, with the battle directors to um, run three man for semifinals and finals games for all the, the levels. 9 U 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, whatever. If we have enough umpires, which is always a challenge, of course. And um, so we had the first go at this uh, last weekend. Uh, in a pretty big tournament that they had at the big sports complex here in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area. And uh, the weather wasn't the best, but, you know, they got pretty much all the games in. And uh, they worked the three-man. And I know you're thinking, we were a three-man on, a, like, a 10-U field and stuff? Yeah, 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 we did. Um, it wasn't always, you know, the best three-man. And, we, we, you know, Nick did what he could uh, to kind of pregame with all the guys before. We sent them some information to help them study up on some things. Very few of them had much experience with three-man prior, and even if they did have some experience, it maybe wasn't the best run system that they had done. But anyway, we did what we could, and um, it was well-received. Um, parents that were there uh, certainly liked it. Coaches liked it. Um, because even uh, not well-run three-man is better than not well-run two-man. Whereas two-man, you know, you might be way across the field trying to make a call on something, whereas three-man, even if you're not quite doing what you're supposed to, you're more than likely going to end up with an umpire pretty close to a play or a base and able to make a call, and that always has better optics and goes over a lot better, right? So, yeah, I think it was a success, and we will continue to try to teach and, uh, and make that better. Now, it's going to be a little trickier once uh, the other signer, Bruce Stone, who... Um, you know, assigns through uh, the Grand Rapids Umpire Alliance uh, that we have here too. He's got a lot of tournaments, and when he's got a big tournament going on, and I do, then I might not always have the availability to do three man for all the levels. It might just be the the bigger fields, of course, and you know maybe the full size fields, if we can even do that. So we'll do what we can for sure. But um, it makes me want to jump out there sometimes and work with some of the guys, not just because you know. You know, I like to work three-man, which I do. It was just nice to be able to, to try to teach and help some people learn it and, and maybe like it. Because three-man compared to, okay, two-man, you got a lot to do, man. You're running around a lot, and that's just what it is. Four-man, yeah, that's great. I mean, you got everything covered so well. But frequently, you know, if the game's kind of a humdinger, um, you don't always have a whole lot to do, particularly at, like, third base or something. But uh, in three-man, um, you usually got something to do most all the time, no matter if you're 
at the plate first or, or third, you know, stuff's happening, you're moving, and uh, you can still get good coverage for things, and uh, it's a pretty good system and, and fun to work, I think. I've been lucky this year to have had quite a few three-man games, and I'm getting more and more comfortable with it. You know, they talk about, you know, Malcolm Gladwell and the 10,000 hours. I'm certainly well below 10,000 hours or, or whatever you might want to say for three-man, but I've gotten to the level where I feel pretty comfortable out there most of the time. I mean, there's there's always a potential thing or two here and there that can trip me up, but uh, definitely all the, the, the routine kind of things, I'm pretty good. And, and you know, you, you know that when your body kind of naturally moves where it's supposed to uh, while you're working the system. I mean, that's kind of what you, you know, you become a little more automated. I mean, you don't want to be, you know, flat out automated because you want to be able to rack properly and, and officiate the, the situation the best that you can. But you, you know, you want to be moving where you need to and, and not always have to think about every little thing that you're doing out there. Some things, though, that uh, I talked about with some of the guys there because I went out and watched, and uh, and I was pleased with how things had gone. Um, we, you know, we only have, like, like I explained to guys, you know, there's only like three main, you know, there's only three rotations in three-man, right? Of course, you've got the rotation with, you know, a double-tag situation with first and second. You've got a rotation with... Um, Nobody on base and a ball that's hit down the line or up the gap and nobody goes out. And, you know, you're going to have a rotation there with the plate umpire up the third. Same situation with the guy on first base. If nobody goes out and there's a ball where that runner on first, you know, might get to third base. And, of course, the plate umpire, you know, has responsibilities with touches and maybe plays back to first base if with nobody out the, you know, first base umpire is to go out. Um, but that's about it. Once you have those things down, then I, guys are always worried about reverse rotations. And so I explained, like, well, you have those things. And then anytime, you know, well, okay, 99% of the time, anytime the plate umpire is guys stay home because their guy is in scoring position, then, you know, the other two umpires are going to reverse rotate. So that helps them. They, it's hard for guys to um, pregame. And, uh, and then it's hard for guys to pre-pitch situations um but once they get those things i was like oh i've got first and third okay well there's a guy in third it's in scoring position plate guy saying there okay well we have a reverse rotation if if that uh you know batter runner is going to go to second base because you know it's the batter runner right so <clears throat> anyway it helps them start thinking a little bit we'll see how we do we had a few of the fields where you know nick was talking and said you know we can just Reverse rotate every time and not rotate. Just have the plate guy stay home. That's the easiest thing for him to do. He just stays there. And you got the other two guys that can just move back and forth and do it. So one way you can do it. I mean, you know, um, simplify it a little bit. I know, like, for the state finals here in Michigan for high school, uh, when, you know, they're working four men, they have guys go out on every fly ball. And they're like, okay, we're not going to have guys read it. We're just going to say, you go out. Because we got three other guys. They can just rotate where they need to. And uh, you have everything covered. It kind of takes the, uh, I don't know, in, in a way to me, a little bit of the fun away, but you certainly will get less mess ups. And, uh, you know, you don't want to get, you don't ever want to get those situations where there's a play somewhere and nobody's there, right? So if, if that's the case, then I think it's definitely worthwhile to go with those simplified kind of routes. So I'm curious if any of you out there um, are able to work three man or four man in any of your uh, 
summer league games if those opportunities arise. So let me know how that might have gone for you or, you know, what questions you might have about that. Um, they're certainly fun systems to work in, especially if you're working a lot of two-man and you get an opportunity to work three or four-man. It just kind of freshens everything up and kind of reinvigorates you a bit so that uh, you kind of, you know, you're paying attention better and uh, you're, you're obviously thinking about what you're, you're trying to do and and uh, it just kind of brings you right back into the game, I feel. All right. So anyway, th- those are my thoughts that I've had recently on uh, three-man and four-man. So there you have it, another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. Thank you once again for sticking with me and listening, I hope, to the end. But, you know, as always, you could skip around and listen to whatever segments you want. That's fine by me. I finished my uh, plate job t- today. I had the, the middle plate job for my series here and decided I'd knock out the rest of this podcast and do some of the assigning tasks that I need to do that I'm not necessarily looking forward to doing, but they need to be done and get a, a few other things accomplished here. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to accomplish was to reach out to all of you and, and give you this uh, podcast here as we kind of reach the last stages of our spring season uh, for most of us. And uh, if you're someone that is going to be working some postseason baseball, I urge you to brace that. Know that you know not everybody always gets those opportunities. Uh, take it seriously. And I know that uh, there'll be a little more pressure and the players are going to be a little more antsy to, to win those games. But it's the same baseball game that you've been umpiring all season. So bear down do the best that you can and uh, relax and make the best calls that you can out there Uh, if you want to reach out to me via voicemail voice message that you can put here on the anchor platform or through an email that would be wonderful I always look forward to uh, some feedback from different listeners out there that's definitely much appreciated until next time Keep calling strikes.